0: Welcome to the Intentional Encourager Podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a personal treat. I have known this guy since we were about eight years old playing baseball on the minor league fields in South Point, Ohio. Now we are both much older than eight years old, obviously. Uh, He does a way better job looking uh, less like he's aged like I have with the, with the uh, gray in my beard and the, in the receding hair, but he is a, uh, He, at one time he was an an FCA area director, but he has got an incredible story of perseverance, faith and overcoming obstacles. And I had to bring him on to talk about it and tell his story. My buddy, Andy Connor joins me today on the intentional encourager podcast. Andrew, what's good. How are you?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me for inviting me to be on and, uh, Uh, if there's only really one answer to, to what's good and that's God, God is good. Yes, he is. Without, uh, without him, uh, I don't, I wouldn't be here. I know that much. And so, um, just, uh, thankful for the life that the Lord's given me and what he's allowed me to experience and to go through. And hopefully, uh, some of what we talk about today can encourage somebody and help them, uh, with their faith journey.
0: Yep. I remember, probably three years ago now, we do we didn't think you were going to be here, and right. uh, you know I remember getting that, seeing that post on Facebook and and getting a hold of your wife down at Duke University and and just telling her hey let Andy know we're praying for him uh, because guys that grew up with you like we did, um, and and I was kidding you before we started recording you you left we we had we had gone. I went to a Christian school, but we went to school together in third grade. I went to South Point Elementary School, and then I went to Christian school, came back my my eighth grade year at South Point, and then we went to school together our freshman year. And then you and your family moved. Your dad got a job, and you guys moved to North Carolina. Um, but we reconnected a few years ago. But, man, all of us guys that knew you and grew up with you, we were praying hard for you because – you're one of us. And and that's the the thing about it. And we were teasing. We were teasing each other before before uh, we we started recording. Right. I have a childhood nickname that anybody and my rule is if you've known me longer than 35 years, you can call me by my childhood nickname. Right. So are you gonna drop my childhood nickname on me during the podcast, or are we gonna call each other by our adult names?
1: Well, so my first recollection of you would have been as a a tall, uh, lanky kind of kid standing on the pitcher's mound uh, as I come up and I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world am I going to catch up with this guy's fastball? And so uh, you had a a really uh, good fastball, especially for an eight or nine year old. Yeah, Uh, I, I peaked
0: at 12, Andy. That's it a, I a peaked at 12, man. That was, you know. Here's the thing, man. I, I remember it's funny because we were playing. I remember being so disappointed as a 12-year-old I didn't make the all-star team because I thought, mm. man, I'm one of the best pitchers in the league. And right, and this and that. And uh we played you so I in Little League, I played for McDonald's mm-hmm. in South Point. Our uniforms were green and gold. We looked like, right. you know, we we had and we had two teams in the league that were green and gold. We had us and Kerry Tire. They had right. they had yellow jerseys with green letters on them, and right. we had green jerseys with le- with yellow letters on them. Mm-hmm. And you guys, you played for a team, Ramadi, and your dad Ramadi. was one of the coaches, right. yeah? Right. And I remember one night, I had a no-hitter when I was 11 going against you guys. Mm. And there was a kid, I'll never forget it. The, 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 there was a kid on your team named Keith Polly. Yep. That lit me up like a Christmas tree. He singled up the middle on me and broke up my no hitter. Right. And uh, but you know I, he wore me out. A kid named Billy Vaughn wore me out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could, I could have, I could have underhanded the ball, rolled the ball to the plate. They would have hit it into the gap somewhere on me. I mean, right, I mean right. but I, you know, it was, it was so much fun, man. And you were a really good player growing up, man. You were an excellent player. You played shortstop. You played, You pitched. You caught, I mean, man, you were, you were a great, you were a great athlete coming up yourself, man. And, and, uh, I always admired you because it seemed baseball seemed to be easy for you. It wasn't that easy for me. It seemed to be easy for you because you were just so, so gifted. I mean, it just, like I said, it came easy for you or it seemed that way.
1: I don't know about all that, but uh, I think maybe as you've gotten older, your memory has gotten a little foggy. I'm not sure. Uh, not I don't think there's not. any question about that. Right, right. I
0: mean, there's no question but about that. Hey, Andy, I, let me ask you, you
1: let me, Yeah, go let ahead. Let me throw this in there. Yeah, go ahead. You, you probably had a father that was similar to mine where they invested in us. Yeah. They spent time with us. Uh, I can remember uh, coming home from church on a Sunday afternoon and saying, hey, Dad, can we go over to the batting cage? I want to hit some." And he'd say, "Let's do it. Let's go," you know. And so uh, he'd take me over, and we'd spend, you know, however long over in the batting cage, and yeah, and I'd hit. And then we'd maybe go out on the mound, and he'd let me pitch a little bit. Uh, so, you know, we had fathers that invested time in us, and that were involved in our lives, uh, and and so I think that uh, that involvement probably uh, helped a lot with you know, how we were able to be successful on the ball field, but obviously it carried over into more than just ball field. Um, I think it really extends over into just life in general uh, and how we've been trained and how we've been brought up, uh, and just so successfully and, and, you know, has there been bumps and roads down, you know, yeah, obviously you have bumps and, and, um, got to make U-turns from time to time, but you know, with our upbringing and the parents that the Lord gave us, um, life just should, should, should have turned out good for us. And, and I think for the most part, you can say it really has.
0: You know, the thing about it is, and I'm glad you mentioned your dad, you know, my dad was the same way. My dad would say, Hey, let's go out and cat, play catch. Let's go out Mm -hmm. and play. Let's have a game of wiffle ball. He'd say, let's go out and have a game. And, You know that those things, investing in your sons, those led us to be the men that that we turned out to be. And sure, I you know Andy, I saw you. We reconnected, like I said, about five years ago. You were working an FCA tournament, Fellowship of Christian Athletes tournament, and I saw you, and I was there with my son, Mm -hmm. and and it was a beautiful full circle moment because. I had to have one of those moments, and I mentioned it in my new book. I had to have one of those moments, Andy, where I had to make a hard decision about do I give up this job that I love to come home and be at every one of my son's basketball games, every one of my son's baseball games. Because our dads didn't didn't hardly miss any of our games, whether we were in minor league or little league or senior league. I can remember my dad being in almost every one of my games. And I I just thought, man, if I don't do this for my son, I'm going to look back and go, I missed it. And what for? To be out traveling, be out, you know, doing what I thought I needed to do.
1: Well, it probably really ended up not even being a hard decision for you. Um, I'm sure knowing you and knowing your character and who you are, uh, that wasn't even a second thought for you. But it was neat, uh, like you said, that full circle uh, when we saw each other, because at that point, we probably hadn't seen or talked to each other for 20, 25 years.
0: Easily. easily. But,
1: but when, when I saw you, there was that instant connection and that familiarity. And just like we had seen each other the week before, yeah. you know, just that friendship that, that we have. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with our faith being brothers in Christ. Uh, just, you know, there's a comfort level between me and you and a, and, a, and a good friendship and, you know, just being able to talk and, and it was like, you know, 20, 25 years was really a week. Yeah. Uh, so it was really cool to just instantly have that, that feeling of family and that feeling of just really good friends.
0: I wish I could go back and, and look like I did at 17. I was, I was slender and I could run. Right. right. And, uh, you know, now I'm 48 and, uh, yeah, the, yeah, I, I wake up in the middle of the night my hip hurts and my shoulder hurts. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I, feel
1: you. I know, yeah, exactly what I know you're that <laughs> you,
0: you have gone through, let me, let me go here and, and I want to, I want to go present day. And then we'll, we will, we will tell your story. Okay. You have, You know, COVID has really taken an impact on everybody. What have you had to do because, and we'll get into some of your health challenges that you've had. How have you had to alter your life this year in the midst of COVID-19 to keep yourself as healthy as you can possibly be?
1: Primarily just staying home, uh, staying away from people. Uh, My doctors uh, had a very uh, important conversation with me. Uh, when this stuff was starting to break out. And uh, when I say my doctors, I'm referring to my, my doctor team at Duke University Hospital. But they had a very um, important, very uh, forward conversation with me. And they shared with me the importance of wearing a mask. Uh, it doesn't necessarily save me from getting it from somebody else, but uh, it saves Uh, me from sending germs to somebody Uh, so they said you know if everybody is wearing a mask then okay if they're not don't go there so I actually haven't really been to church but maybe one or two times uh, since this started in March so uh, it's really just been trying to stay away from people avoid people Uh, make sure that I'm protected Uh, my wife instead of going in a store to get groceries does the pickup thing Mm -hmm. Uh, she only brings in the the frozen foods that need to go right into the into the freezer wipes it all off and then we leave everything else out in the car uh, for a 24-hour period to let you know the germs die and that kind of thing so it's been a little bit of an an adjustment because I am used to being able to to get up and get out a little bit. yeah. And so there were a couple of times where I told my wife, I was like, hey, can we at least just go for a ride, get, get out of the house? Uh, and we did that through the dogs and went for rides and things. But really uh, from the get-go, the doctors have said, you got to stay away from people. You got to stay away from any kind of uh, enclosed place or close gathering type of place uh, so that you don't put yourself at risk.
0: How's that been for your mental health? Because again, I hear a lot of people, Andy, they say, you know, being isolated is not good. And I understand those things. But you're in a situation where you're a people person, right. you're active in your church, but you have a health condition that really puts you at a higher risk, even though you and I both are 48, 49 years old. I think well people say, Well, you guys are are young men we are, but, but your health condition puts you at a greater risk. And you just mentioned that very important conversation you had with your doctors at Duke. How have you, how have you done mentally? How, how have you kept yourself one encouraged and two, how have you kept yourself sane if for lack of a better word?
1: Um, I honestly can't say that I've ever during this time felt depressed, uh, but I can say I have been frustrated. I've been discouraged uh, just from, uh, I guess you would call it the isolation and kind of just being home and not being around others or whatever. Uh, But in that, uh, one of the things that has helped is um, my wife likes to go fishing. And so we got our fishing license and a couple times here, and about you know once every couple weeks, we'd go out for an evening go you know, fishing. Uh, for the first time in about four years, I was able to actually start swinging a golf club a little bit, so oh, I was able yeah. to get out and play a little bit of golf. So that actually really helped me with getting frustrated, being discouraged, uh, and getting to do those couple of little things. Uh, so um, beyond that. And, and more importantly, probably than that, uh, is one of the things that I've tried to focus on, uh, is I want to look at where I am spiritually going into this and I want to come out stronger than when I came in. And so it will be important for me during this time to spend time in God's word, uh,
0: mm-hmm. to
1: spend time with the Lord, to read the word of God, to read some other Christian books, uh, things like that to work on uh, growth. And so uh, I've done okay with that. I can't say I've done gr- wonderful or great or exceptional, yeah. but I've done pretty good with that. Uh, but I do know in doing uh, the taking the time to read the word of God, to, to read other Christian books that would uh, help me to learn about God or to be encouraged myself, uh, those things helped uh, greatly as well.
0: And, and, you know, that's that's a beautiful thing that you brought up there because I think everybody has been challenged. I, I have found myself at times frustrated like you are or, or have been because you think, well, I, I can't get out and do what I want to do or do this and that. And then I, I think to myself, well, I'm, I've been very fortunate. You know, God has taken care of us. God has blessed us. God has watched over us, you know. Uh, we prayed before we started recording, and there's a scripture that I I used when we were praying Revelation twelve eleven and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and and so you know what you said was just so accurate there about using the word of God to encourage your, and 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 you asked me something you said why are you doing this podcast and I want to use stories like yours to encourage people so that when they're feeling like oh man you know I just man I I just don't have it today they can come and download a podcast like this and hear your story and hear what God's done for you and lift their spirits I want to go there with you let's let's tell your story we've we have teased this long enough Uh because I tell you Andy your story is just flat out incredibly remarkable take me as far back as you want to go I mean we you know, we we teased it at the top of the of the podcast that you and I have known each other a long, long time. Right. Um, but take me back as far as you want to go in, in parts of your life and stories in your life. Um, I, I know this, I, I want to, let me go ahead and lead you here. Let me just okay. lead you here for a minute. Okay. The health condition you have now started with you at birth. So let's go there and, and let's talk about some of those things that happened to you early in your life.
1: Right. So when I was born, uh, the doctors immediately knew there was uh, something wrong uh, because uh, my lips, my fingers, my toes, they were all blue. So they knew there was an issue with oxygen uh, getting to my extremities. So as they began to do some testing, began to do some different uh, blood work and different things, they realized that there was a hole in my heart between my uh, ventricles. So the blood that had oxygen in it was getting mixed with blood that didn't have oxygen in it. And so that was causing the blood to be diluted with oxygen. It didn't have as much as it needed uh, as it got through my body. So I was rushed from Cabell Huntington Hospital uh, as just a couple of days old uh, up to uh, Children's Hospital in Columbus uh, where they did further testing and, and solidified that yeah, this is what's going on. So the interesting thing is uh, we waited until I was about 19 months old because they wanted me to get to a certain weight, a certain size to do this heart surgery. Uh, So the interesting thing from the very get-go was that this heart surgery, they had only been doing for a few years, maybe five years. So it was a relatively new heart surgery that they had been doing Uh, And that surgery they did on me at the age of 19 is called transposition of the great vessels. So within my heart, my ventricles are actually reversed. Uh, My ventricle that's supposed to pump blood to my lungs uh, actually pumps blood to my body. And my other ventricle that's supposed to pump to the body pumps to my lungs. So that ultimately is what led to the issues of more modern day uh, going back to about 2016. Uh, but that's the the surgery that I had at 19 months old. That's the the heart that the Lord gave me uh, at birth.
0: And it, this is the early 1970s. So you and I are you were you born in 72? I was born in 72. Yes. So yeah, we're, September we're, we're, 72. Yeah, so I'm a month older than you are. So right. yeah, it's and and it's funny that you when now we're you know 19 months old. You're talking about mid 1974. And a lot of the things, a lot of the the medical advancements and things like that just weren't around. And, and I, I'll say this, you know, the, the miracle that happened in my body when I was a kid, I had a hole in my lung that, that God healed. And so, you know, God God did a healing in you. It's just it was a different way, you know, allowing you to grow up. And And, and I love what you said there. It's the heart the Lord gave me. So so you really, you know, because I never knew this until we were much older because when, as I mentioned a little bit ago, man, you you seem like you could do just about anything. Did you know growing up that you had difficulties? I mean, obviously you probably saw the scar on your chest, but were there any difficulties doing what you wanted to do growing up? Well, uh,
1: when we were in sixth grade, uh, uh, we played the buddy basketball the, there at South Point. And at that time when we were 12, uh, there was the patch that they put between my ventricles started to leak. Uh, so they didn't know whether it was they missed a stitch or because of growth that a stitch had pulled loose. Uh, so I began to have some leakage in that. So what happened uh, was uh, I couldn't even play a six-minute quarter because i would get tired i would get winded and out of breath so at some point during a quarter because you everybody had to play at least one full quarter Mm -hmm. uh, we would have to call a timeout just so i could get a drink of water and try to catch my breath so i could finish a whole entire quarter other than that during that time uh really i was able to do basically anything i wanted to do Uh, my doctors did tell me that i could not play football uh, so that's why I never played football uh, because of the, the physical nature of the tackling and the hitting and that kind of stuff.
0: Hey, don't feel bad. We didn't have a football team in high school right. worth playing for. So well, don't don't co- feel bad.
1: The couple of guys that were pretty good went down the road to yeah. that other little team. Yeah, yeah.
0: I remember that. Yeah.
1: But, uh, so, you know, but other than that, the baseball and, you know, some of the other sports I was able to, to play and, and be fine. And then, like I said, when I was 12, I had another open heart surgery for them to fix that patch. And that uh, that helped and, and it got me back to where I pretty well could just kind of go on and do whatever.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned that because when we were playing Little League, n- nobody knew that you had, you know, you didn't wear anything protective across your chest or anything like that. Right. And I remember a guy and, and you'll remember when I say this guy's name, we, unfortunately, we lost him two or three years ago, a guy named Daryl Smoot. He was a couple of mm-hmm. years older than we were. But mm-hmm. I remember Daryl only having one kidney and wearing a, a, like a flak jacket kind of thing around yeah. his midsection to, to protect that. But, you know, the Lord was gracious to you that you never had to do that. When you had that second surgery, you're 19 months old when you have the first one. Do you remember what you thought the second time you had open heart surgery? You're 12. Obviously, you know what's going on. What were your thoughts when you had that surgery for the second time?
1: So all I knew was that when I was active, uh, it, my, my breath was going from me sooner than normal, that I would have to stop and rest. Uh, my body always told me and said, okay, you're tired. You need to stop. So I always was able to, to understand when to stop and not to push it. Uh, so other than that, uh, I knew that there was this leakage with the, the patch that was in there and that they needed to fix it. So a lot of the other details and the intricacies of what was going on and, and happening uh, really stayed more between the doctors and my parents. Uh, wow. So they- yeah tried to protect me, uh, in that way to not have more put on me than needed to be at that age.
0: And I tell you what, your mom and dad, wonderful people. And, you know, to, to do that, I'm sure they were scared to death and things like that, that, that happened. You get into high school and, and the problems seemed to correct, to be corrected and, and become a young adult. So you know, take me through your, the rest of your, because again, you, you, your family moved when we were after our freshman year at South Point, you moved away to North Carolina, what was your, what was your high school and, and young adult years life, you know, thinking you had this problem fixed and, and going forward?
1: Well, we knew that eventually there would end up being issues, it was just a matter of time, uh, when they would happen, when they would occur, so we knew that everything was corrected that could be corrected, but that didn't mean everything was completely resolved. Uh, There would be eventually be issues. Uh, But to more directly answer your question, if I said they were normal, they, they were normal. Uh, If, if you didn't, if I didn't tell you that I had something wrong with my heart, you wouldn't have known. Mm -hmm. I made the golf team all four years in high school. Well, in high school, you carry your bag. So, every round, every match, no matter what the course was, we threw our bags on our shoulders and walked around the course, up and down the hills and around the corners. And really at that time, and even into uh, getting into college, that was no big deal. You know, I was able to do that and it not even be an issue.
0: Wow. And so you, you, you get into your young adult years. When you went on to college, what did you want to study when you were in college? Um, You know, Remind me where you ended up going to college at.
1: So when I first started into college in 1990, I was at Marshall. So I was at Marshall from 90 to 94. Oh, that's right. You came home. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I never saw you
0: on campus. Maybe because I was skipping class or something, hanging out (laughs) at the campus Christian
1: center. Yeah, I was probably in the gym playing basketball uh, instead of in class. So.
0: I was yeah. in the campus Christian Center. Right. We were playing Nerf basketball. Nice. Hey, I got to tell you this. Uh, I, I went over. You know where the campus Christian Center is at Marshall, right. and uh, I've got my Marshall sweatshirt on. I happen to have a a small tea stain right there. Forgive me for <laughs> forgive me for for not looking camera ready today. Right, but right. but uh, Andy, we played ping pong in the campus Christian Center. And and I went to dive, we were playing doubles, and I went to dive for a shot and, and went shoulder first into the wall. Ooh. Made this big mark on the wall. They plastered it, but they never painted over it. So about three or four years ago, my cousin had his 40th birthday party at the Campus Christian Center. That, that wall, that spot on the wall was still there. Oh my word. Almost, uh, you know, 30, almost 20, 25, 30 years later. So right, it was still, yeah, it was still there, man. That's, that's where I hung out most of the time. So you went to Marshall like I did, mm-hmm. 90 to 94. What, what happened after, did you, did you end up staying in the area? Did you go back to North Carolina after college?
1: So I was a criminal justice major. I was very into the criminal justice, uh, legal studies minor, uh, kind of had an idea that maybe wanted to go into law. Uh, so that's what I was uh, doing while I was there at Marshall. So in 1992, uh, I was, had left work on a Tuesday evening and was heading to the softball fields in Ironton for a church softball game. Uh, we played on Tuesday nights uh, during the summer. We had about seven or eight different churches that were in a softball league together. And so we were uh, in the middle of the game and it was, you know, that, that very humid, uh, mid upper nineties, uh, type day. And so we were right in the middle of the game and I was you know, at shortstop on the, on the field. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, I was on all fours. Mm. I, I had passed out. So the youth pastor that we had at our church at the time was a, uh, had been a former EMT. So he took my, my heart rate, my pulse and everything. And he said, Andy, your, your heart. Is racing. Uh, I can't even really get a, a good solid feel for what's going on. Mm-hmm. So at that time, what we realized after going to my cardiologist local was that my heart had gotten out of the rhythm. So that was one of those effects that could happen at some point from my earlier surgeries. So I'm, you know, in 1992, uh, having, having this, this issue with my heart being out of rhythm. Well, that's how I end up getting to Duke because my local doctor in the Huntington area suggested that we follow up with a cardiologist down at Duke Uh, so what they did was they admitted me to St. Mary's did a cath to shock my heart to get it back into rhythm and then we went for a follow-up visit down to Duke and at that point uh, they determined that I needed a pacemaker so here here I am at the age of 20-21 Uh, having a a pacemaker put in that I would ultimately uh, end up needing to have for the rest of my life so I still have one even today.
0: Hey everybody Brian Sexton here I want to tell you about our sponsor SEO National SEO stands for search engine optimization now what's that you might say well search engine optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers After opening SEO National 14 years ago, let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. So, so you're 20 years old, twenty twenty one 21 years old and, and for, for the thing that I think is pretty remarkable about this is your, your family moved to the Raleigh area. When, when you, when you left South point, you guys moved to the Raleigh area, right. You know, a lot closer to Duke than you were when you went to Marshall and, and living up here, it's about a five and a half hour trip from here to, to Durham, North Carolina, where Duke is. And you know, that trip well, right. Um you know, you're 20, you're 21 years old. How are you feeling now when you, you get the news, Hey, we're going to do a pacemaker. Kind of take me through those thoughts because man, you're supposed to get a pacemaker when you're 50, 55, 60 years old, not 20.
1: Right. So when I graduated high school, that's dad's, my dad's job transferred him back to this, to the Huntington area. Uh, So we were living here in Huntington, Uh, really. Uh, my thoughts at that time is, you know, like, okay, really? Do I, need to, do I really need to do this? Uh, is this really happening? Uh, because what was in my mind was with as, as limited as I am, but still able to do a lot of the things I want to do, how much more limited am I going to be? How much, how, what things am I going to have to give up now? Uh, and it really didn't change a whole lot, uh, a little bit. Because now I have to protect this place on my on my chest where this pacemaker is because we don't want to get hit or something happen and, and for it to get damaged. Uh, so the amount of basketball that I played lessened greatly. Uh, but you know, my mind was, I'm awful young to be getting this, as you yeah. s- suggested. So really, how is this going to change my life? How is this going to affect me? Andy,
0: let me me jump in here. How do you stay in shape as a 21, 22-year-old young man? Because you've had two heart surgeries, Mm -hmm. one at 19 months, one at 12. And now you've got this pacemaker and you're active. I mean, you talk about playing golf and carrying your bag and and playing softball, playing basketball. How do you stay active? Was there any thought in your mind of, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to do these things? Or did you just kind of say, I can still do them. I've got to be careful. I mean, what was your thought process around staying active and staying fit through this time of having a pacemaker?
1: Well, I still played some basketball. Uh, Like I said, not near as much. But I I had to, to wait for a while for there to be healing uh, after, after having that pacemaker put in and having that surgery, uh, you know, your heart's not anything to be messing with. So you got to, uh, give it extra time to make sure you're completely healed up. Uh, mm-hmm. but then I was able to get back to a little bit of a normal routine, you know, playing the golf. Uh, in fact, I remember my doctor that put the pacemaker in, uh, coming into the room saying, okay, now you had said you played golf. We need to think about, where to put this thing so it doesn't affect you playing golf so he actually went through some practice swings to figure out the best way or the best place to put my pacemaker so it wouldn't interfere with me getting to do stuff
0: what did they determine was the reasoning that you needed the pacemaker because you you mentioned just a few minutes ago when you were 12 they went in and fixed the patch that they initially put into you at 19 months was it just the fact of this was the way your heart was going to go and and the way your heart was going to be. And they just needed to, to boost it a little bit. What was, what did they tell you? The reasoning was that you needed the pacemaker.
1: So medically speaking, they were, they weren't convinced that it was full atrial fibrillation. Uh, They said it was more of a a flutter. Uh, So what was happening was my atrium, they weren't uh, contracting and squeezing the way that they, they should, they were just kind of fluttering.
0: You may have a criminal justice degree, but you become an amateur cardiologist, my friend, I'm Uh, telling you, you know more about your heart and the human heart than, than most people do that, that don't practice medicine. I mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, and the thing about it is, is, is when you deal with a condition like you've dealt with, you do become quite an expert on it because you have to know what triggers things and things like that. So let's move forward a little bit, you know, they, they, they put the pacemaker in. So obviously you feel like, and your family feels like you're good, you know, for, for the, for the foreseeable future, right? Take me to where things started sliding backwards. You're, you're in your early twenties, you get this pacemaker, how are the rest of your twenties and into your thirties, as far as your health
1: and your quality of life? So in in 94, um, I wasn't real happy at Marshall. Uh, I was just kind of going through the motion. Uh, I didn't necessarily feel like I was doing what I was called or meant to do. Uh, So in talking to some friends, talking to my parents, uh, I realized that the Lord was calling me into full-time church ministry. Mm. So I left Marshall and transferred to Pensacola Christian College. So I was in Pensacola from 94 to 97. I uh, got my degree, four-year degree in Bible uh, there. And life was just kind of normal. You know, you, you, met, you meet somebody, you get married, you have a couple kids. I was at a couple of different churches. Uh, you know, things seemed to be, you know, working uh, just fine, you know, with my heart. You know, you just, you're just kind of starting to progress through life as you age and get older. Mm-hmm. so things were health wise were seemed to be good seemed to be fine uh i had lived in cincinnati for a year lived in atlanta for three years lived in greenville south carolina for six years uh lived over on the coast of north carolina uh, about 40 minutes north of Wilmington for three years two two years and then in 2009 is when i moved back here to the huntington area but all the while uh feeling for the most part, as far as physical health, being pretty healthy, uh, being able to kind of do, uh, what I normally would do and, and not necessarily having too many restrictions on, on my activity. Mm -hmm. So that gets us up to 2009.
0: 2009, we're 37 years old. I'm doing the math (laughs) in my head. I'm going, okay, that was 11 years ago. Right. 37 years old. Okay. So, so take us, so take us to that point in 2009, you feel, you know, and, and, and now, you know, chronologically with your health, Andy, we're 19 months with the, the initial heart surgery, you're 19 months old, 74, 1992, that's 18 years. And then 92 to two thousand. That's another 17 years. So you ha- you're have you having these things about every 17 years or so. So what happened in 2009 that really turned this another way for you as well?
1: Well, what's interesting is that at, at that age, uh, when I would go to my doctor visits, my cardiologist visits, they would always be amazed at how healthy I looked, how active I would describe I was, because someone at that age, in that 37, 40 range, wasn't supposed to be as active as I was, wasn't supposed to be as in good health as I was with the surgeries that I've had.
0: Did you uh, have to take any medication to control your cholesterol and things like that? Did you have to, uh, were you on an aspirin regimen for your heart? I mean, because I would think that, that most people that I know that have had heart issues like that, they're either on a, a they've been on a a statin to reduce their cholesterol for a number of years, aspirin regimen to, to make sure that their heart stays healthy and in good balance and rhythm. Were you ever Did you have to do any kind of medications or or things like that?
1: Yeah, I did take one particular medicine from basically when I was about two years old or So Uh, that's the Lenoxin. Uh, And it wasn't until um, when I was around 21 and had the pacemaker put in, that any medications were added and I had a couple of medications added at that time. So really until 2016 ish, uh, when I went into um, congenital heart failure, that I really didn't have a whole lot of medications that I took.
0: So 2009, so let me, let me back up a minute. So 2009, you run into another issue that, that, is again, altering things for you. Take us to that, that time frame.
1: Well, um, well, relationship wise was an interesting thing, uh, because, uh, getting ready to move up here, uh, the, the spouse at the time says, I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm done. And hmm. so she, she heads in the, in the total opposite direction. Uh, so that was really hard and difficult to, to go through, uh, but I would say uh, that uh, not too long after everything was finalized with that, uh, the Lord brought me a wife that is absolutely amazing and has been better to me than I deserve and has looked out for me, has loved me, has helped me uh, both um, uh, mentally, uh, spiritually. Uh, and with my health and everything. And so I'm just so thankful for my, my wife now, uh, Jan, who we've been married almost 10 years now.
0: I've got to ask you this. I've got to jump in and ask you this because you've gone through these health issues. Right. Divorce, and, and I thank God I've been married to the same woman now for 24 years, but I know people that have gone through divorces and it takes a toll on your health. Mm-hmm. Did it take a toll on your health? Because your health is, it, it, I don't want to say fragile, but you've got a condition here that you've dealt with all of your life. Did it, how did that particular situation, did it affect your health? How, what, what happened there?
1: So I would say that probably it didn't really affect my health a whole lot. Uh, I do know that, you know, when you're going through something difficult like that, I know uh, I did lose some weight. Uh, I, did, I wasn't eating the way that I should. I probably wasn't eating properly, uh, the right kinds of foods. Uh, but I, you know, I went through a little bit of a weight loss just going through that. You know, that's difficult on anybody. But as far as my heart is concerned, uh, it really hadn't affected that, or, or had any issues with that. And, and so like I was saying, you know, those, those doctor visits, they were always, you know, amazed at how well I was doing. And, you know, that's why I said earlier, I know that if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here mm-hmm. because I even had one nurse when I was around uh, about 38, 39, uh, basically said that people with my heart don't live as long as I've been as good a health as I was in. And so, um, I remember asking her and saying, you know, are you suggesting or saying that I probably should be dead by now? And she said, well, no, not necessarily, but usually by your age in that 37 to 40 range, there starts to be a lot of pretty bad complications and you're just not even showing any signs of any of that. Hmm. So God's been good. And even through the divorce, even through all of that, uh, that drama and and hardship, uh, he's been faithful and and has helped me through it. And it was really not until uh, spring of 2016 uh, that any more signs of of heart issues uh, began to to show up. So really a lot of my adult life has been, uh, health-wise, been pretty clean uh, other than Uh, having a couple of uh, pacemakers replaced because of uh, their wear had had gotten uh, to where the battery was about to run out and you replace it. So Andy, you
0: you get to, and I mean to interrupt you, but you get to 2016, the spring of 2016. What happened? What was the the defining moment that you're like, okay, we've, we've got an issue here because You know, you you've you've done very well with the pacemaker, other than having to have it replaced, which is pretty minimally invasive. You know, and it's pretty smooth procedure. But then, in the spring of 2016, you start to face some things that are that are a lot more serious than just replacing a pacemaker.
1: So I had been uh, refereeing basketball for about six years at that point, and I think what really triggered the whole going into congenital heart failure was that I had overdone it. Uh, I basically took any and every game that I was asked to to referee. So from November of 2015 to June of 2016, I refereed around 150 basketball games. Mm. And I never did too much on one day, but you add all that together, and I think that's what really overdid it uh, and overextended myself. So my heart, uh, the pressure of the ventricle that was supposed to be pumping blood into my body, but was created to only pump to your lung, the pumping fracture was beginning to diminish and lessen. So that blood wasn't getting pumped out of my ventricle and uh, there was fluid that was beginning to back up in my heart.
0: So what should have helped your heart with cardiovascular exercise? Because refereeing basketball for, you know, for an hour at a time, you're up and down the court, you're up and down the court and things right. like that. And, and people would think, okay, well, you, you're, you, you know, that kind of exercise should help your heart. But in your case, it was doing the inverse. It was doing the exact opposite.
1: It was basically ended up kind of wearing it out. Uh, I think I don't necessarily have medical proof or or concrete evidence, but... But you know your I body. Look, you yeah, know your I, body well right. enough to
0: know what was... Did Did you right. feel like when you... Let me ask you this. When When you would do a game, did you feel like were you fine after a game or was it like I need about 15 or 20 minutes before I can... You know, let me sit here a few minutes. What was that time like for you? Did you... You, you said you did about, and that's a lot of basketball games to do. How was your bounce back? How did you feel like, hey, I, you know, I can do a game tomorrow. Just give me some time to lay down and rest and recuperate. Um, I mean, how were you feeling at that time?
1: Right. So really, as I got into May and June of 2016, uh, what I noticed happening was right when we would start a game, and I would start getting up and down the the court, I would begin to uh, have a hard time catching my breath. Uh, I would try to stand up a little straighter, try to take a deep breath.
0: Really like you were when you were 12 and and the the issues kind of started surfacing then.
1: Right, yeah, very similar. Uh, And it was one of those things where, you know, you hear people say something like, well, I need to catch my second wind. Uh, That's kind of what I was going through, but... You know, I shouldn't be needing to catch a second wind uh, a minute into a game. You know, we're just getting started, uh, so that was something that I noticed starting to happen. Uh, and then, uh, as we would get more down toward the game, I could I noticed that that I was maybe a little bit more tired than normal. You know, at that time, if I went out and refereed four or five nights a week you know, that wasn't necessarily affecting me or bothering me. And then when I did the, the buddy ball, you know, for the little kids, you know, I'd do three or four games in a row and, and not really bother me. I got used to it. Uh, but as my heart, uh, began to show signs of, of being tired, uh, it was almost like to me, the way I look at it is my heart said, okay, I've done enough. I'm ready to quit. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to stop. And, and that's kind of how I describe it. And so this fluid began to back up in my heart. Well, once that happens, then it begins to get into your lungs. And that's what we understood and, and realized was what was causing the breathing problems and catching my breath or laboring uh, in trying to, to breathe. Uh, I noticed at night to, to sleep, I couldn't lay on my back. Uh, if I laid on my back, I would, I would have to sit up within a, a couple of minutes uh, because I would start to almost choke. Uh, so I would have to lay and sleep on my side uh, to get any kind of rest. So, the you know, a lot of these signs were, were beginning to to come about. Uh, it also began to uh, get down into my legs and my ankles where they were swelling. Uh, I was getting down into my stomach area and my abdomen. Uh, it was effect- beginning to affect my kidneys and my liver. Uh, and... And so I just had this fluid was just starting to, to build up really all over my body. Uh, so we knew in 2016 by uh, end of summer, okay, there's something kind of serious going on here. Uh, we need to, to figure out exactly what is happening and, and figure out what we need to do to handle it.
0: Did you immediately go back to Duke to, to yeah. do that? Or did you, did you seek medical attention here in our area? Or it was, it, was it a no-brainer for you just, let's just go back to Duke?
1: Well, both, but really um, our main focus was to get to Duke uh, because they just have the uh, knowledge and they have the experience to really know exactly what was going on uh, and how to treat or how to try to help uh, my condition and, and my situation. Uh, so we kind of, did patchwork, if you would, uh, here in the local area uh, and did the best we could to, to help me out. Uh, I did have a paracentesis at one point. That's where they put a little uh, straw like thing into your side and drain the fluid out of your your belly. And so they end up draining about three and a half gallons of fluid out and ends up being a little over seven pounds of fluid that they drained out. Mm. well once they did that i immediately started feeling a little bit better you know you get that much fluid off your body then you're going to feel a little better and um, so we we got into duke and 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 started trying to make a plan trying to figure out exactly what was happening well then once i started feeling better we're like okay well maybe this has kind of gone away a little bit uh but it actually wasn't something that went away and it came back and began to hit pretty good, uh, pretty hard again in the first part of 2018.
0: Take me through that time. You're, you're at Duke and, um, man, I, I remember, I remember seeing the post and, um, you know, I'd seen you at different FCA events and things like that. And man, we were just all concerned because, you were doing a great work with it with FCA in this area, man. You were really right. penetrating into a lot of schools and right. um a, a wonderful guy who played college basketball at the University of Charleston, Keith Tyler. That you guys were doing some tremendous work. The the hoops classic uh that you guys put on West Virginia State, incredible. I had the opportunity uh when my son was at Taze Valley Christian School to to do those um uh, hoop classic games. Uh, do the PA for them, and then when when I, my son transferred to Calvary, we would do the the classic games there when he was at Calvary, and and the PA announcer was always so kind, and Keith and and the guys there was so kind to let me do those games, and um, but but there was there was a time it was touch and go. In the in the last few minutes that we've got here, I, I want you to talk about that particular time. Kind of what you were feeling, kind of what you and Jan were feeling and, and, you know, what was going on internally with you, things like that. Cause you were out of it for, for several days, man, you were unconscious. Uh, I mean, I don't want to tell your story, but that's, that's what was going on.
1: Well, as we went through the summer and then getting into the fall, um, I was unable to sleep. Uh, I was unable to eat. I was losing weight like crazy. Uh, and my, my complexion, my skin color was just turning a gray color. And and we knew, okay, there's something really serious going on. And so through my uh, electrophysiologist down at, at Duke, uh, we set up a catheterization uh, to try to figure out uh, the exact pressures of my heart. And for them to get a a a more clear picture of what was taking place so on august 21st of 2018 uh, we did this calf and my doctor came back after the results after doing the calf and he said okay um these pressures are a lot higher than we anticipated and so what we learned was that i was a lot sicker than we realized Mm -hmm. Uh, i was i was pretty far down the road of of really um just expiring and being done. And so uh, that was on a Tuesday. On August 23rd, he got me an appointment and got me in to see uh, the head um, of medical transplant at Duke Hospital. And so I got in to see Dr. Patel and he reviewed the, the information from my EP doctor. And so he began to talk to us about uh, heart transplant. Well, my antibodies are sky high. You know, on a scale of 100, they're like 98. Mm-hmm. So, transplant is what I need, but it's not at all an option. Uh, my because body. Because they were be- afraid your
0: body was going to reject the transplant, correct? It would
1: immediately because of the antibodies being so high. So, they wanted to do what's called a ventricular assist device, a VAD. And what this basically is, is a pump, and it attaches to your heart, and then it helps to uh, bring out any fluid that may not get pumped out. So it's actually just helping that ventricle to go ahead and clear itself and pull all of the, the fluid out. But I remember sitting there trying to soak all of this in and figure all this stuff out, and I asked Dr. Patel, I said, so Dr. Patel, let me ask you this. If we don't do anything, what what's gonna happen? And he never hesitated and looked at me dead in the eye. And he said on August 23rd of 2018, that if we don't do anything, you're gonna be dead in the year. Hmm. So I said, You know what, Doc? I think I like your plan. Let's go with that. <laughs> Uh, so,
0: so they did the they did the surgery, put the evad the device on on you, and um you know it was touch and go there wasn't it right. for for a couple of days i mean it it was right. kind of one of those things where it was like um what would take me through that thought process that you and Jan had? you're getting ready to have your third major heart surgery in your lifetime right what what was your thought process like? going into this
1: one well dr patel said go home this weekend get stuff in order pay your bills whatever you need to do and we'll have a room waiting on you on monday you come back on monday august 26th so we did that Uh, they wanted to start me on a medication that would help my heart and that medication actually almost killed me uh, because two different times my heart completely stopped uh one uh, the second time was the worst uh, and that was at like two thirty in the morning, and uh, obviously the doctors and nurses rushed in. They pulled my wife out of sleep and pulled. Her and out you're of asleep
0: that, too, so you have no idea what's out, going on, right? I had
1: no idea what was going on, and so that was a couple of days before they end up doing the the surgery that they did on September sixth, uh, when they implanted the the VAD. The, uh, so, you know the fact that I've been through what I've been through, uh, the fact that I you know, if it happened, I would have been dead over a year ago. Uh, the fact that even though my heart completely stopped twice and I'm still here, uh, that's just a God thing.
0: So let that, me ask you this, Andy, I do not mean to interrupt you, but, no, but for the sake of time, I want to, to go here real quick. And I ask this on every podcast. What was the greatest lesson that you learned through all of that. Because I, I tell, and I, I was telling somebody a couple of weeks ago in our, in our church, they were talking about some things they had gone through personally, some trials and tribulations. And that's what we're talking about. When your situation, it's a health trial. It's a, it's a health thing. Other people, it's depression or anxiety or fear, or what, whatever it is. And I said, God never takes you through something that he doesn't leave you a lesson from it. What was that lesson that you learned from your health situation?
1: So there was a bunch of lessons, to be honest with you, that through all of this, God spoke to me and taught me. Um, The... The final lesson, the, the, the most impactful lesson uh, that I got was, um, I had to kind of learn to st- even stand up. Uh, I had to learn to to walk, and and I had gone to the to the restroom in the room there, and, and I hollered for my wife to come and help me uh, to stand back up, and and so I did, and when when she got me back up she kind of walked away to get the bed ready for me and I was reaching out to grab her on the shoulder to to stabilize myself to be able to to not be wobbly uh, so I wouldn't take a chance on falling so I said Jan you know hey can you come back in here so she came back in there and I said hey you know I, I need to keep my hand on your shoulder so I can be stable So I told that story to to give you the lesson that I learned. And the lesson is this. God promises us in in the scripture that he will never leave us and never forsake us. And that is a promise of God that we can take to the bank uh, every day, all day. However, with that promise, what God also taught me was that I have a role in that, and my role is to grab a hold of Jesus and don't let go. Mm-hmm. God's yeah. promised to never leave us or forsake us, but that doesn't mean we don't forsake him and we don't leave him. Yeah. So the yeah. flip side of that promise is, as a, as a believer, as a Christian, I need to grab a hold of Jesus and never let go. I need to make sure that I'm doing everything in my life that is going to be pleasing, is going to be uh, pointing other people to Christ and to help them to, to know who Jesus really is. So for me, uh, playing the game of Christian, going through the motion of being a Christian, that has to stop. Uh, that, that can't be a part of who I am or what my life is about uh, any longer. Uh, Because God has, for whatever his reasoning is, allowed me to still be alive, has allowed me to still be in good enough health where I can be somewhat active and I can proclaim his name and tell how good he is. And so in doing that, I can claim the promise that God hasn't left me. God has never left me. He has always been there for me. Mm -hmm. But I also have to make sure that I'm, I'm doing my part to reach out to him and I'm doing my part to grab a hold of Jesus because I don't want him to, I don't want to let go of him. I yeah. want to be as close to him as I possibly can be. And by doing that, then I have the opportunity and the ability to hopefully influence or encourage someone else. So if I do my part by hanging on to Jesus, then um, that's really one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through this.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I need I meant to ask you the device that you have that pumps your heart, or is it there the rest of your life? Is there any possibility of a heart transplant for you? Or is that or, or are you just saying, hey, as long as I live, I'm gonna have this thing with me?
1: So my understanding is unless they figure out a way to lessen the antibodies in my in my bloodstream. Um, I won't ever be able to have a a heart transplant. So this vat is something uh, that I would have to live with then. My uncertainty is, can they go back in and kind of like a pacemaker, just replace it? Mm Because it has about a a 10-year life expectancy. Uh, So after that eight to 10 years of that life expectancy, will they be able to, to, to go in and, and replace it or, you know, to change it out with a new model. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not real sure with that. Uh, that would be something I'd have to get clarified with my doctors, but right now, you know, I'm two years in, so I'm looking at, you know, eight more years of life expectancy with what I've got.
0: Hey amen if the Lord carries. By that time, you'll probably be, you know, they'll probably have robot hearts or something like that. So,
1: well, with technology and advancements, you know, yeah, they're they're liable to have uh, any kind of. uh, And I do know when we were there, uh, they were talking about a gentleman uh, that they know of that has been working on uh, designing and creating an artificial heart.
0: Man, you know, so
1: in ten years, will that be a, a reality? You
0: know, who knows? Who knows? That's, yeah, that's 100% right. Last question I've got for you, man. You've been so gracious with your time. I have loved this conversation because um, I love you, man. All these yep. years we've been, we've been buddies and, and friends and things like that. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks that may be walking through a health struggle themselves? They may be walking through something they don't understand. Maybe they have gone through, like you have gone through things repeatedly over and over again. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks?
1: So I would say that there is a reason that you are going through what you're going through. Um, You may not understand it. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. But God is allowing you to experience experience it for a reason. Uh, One reason is to draw you closer to him. Another potential reason is that God wants you to take your experience and use it to encourage someone else and to help someone else. Uh, God doesn't allow us to go through things so that we can waste it and not learn from it and grow from it. So look for that thing that you're going through. Look for what God wants you to learn from it, what God wants to teach you from it, what what where God wants to draw you uh, and, and bring you to a place because you're going through it whether you brought it on or not. Uh, whatever the circumstances that came about to bring that, uh, whatever the reason is, um, God does have a purpose and a plan in it. So mm-hmm. try not to focus on The, the, why do I have to go through this, but focus more on the, what can I learn from this and how can I use this to benefit others?
0: Man, Andy, this was so powerful. I'm glad we did this, man. It it is, I wanted to tell your story for a while and, and we we were able to do it, man. I love you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, man. You've been a a great friend for 40 years. (laughs) I mean, it's, that's hard to. That's hard to believe, man. Tell folks how they can connect with you. Um, you know, if somebody's going through something like that, they hear this podcast and go, man, I'd really love to connect with Andy. How can folks connect with you?
1: Sure. Uh, before we go um, and I do that, I want to read my life verse. Uh, hey man, you're, the, you're the
0: guest. So go ahead, go right ahead.
1: <laughs> the, the Lord gave this to me a long time ago. And um, this really is, is my my theme verse, my life verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2, and it says this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So that's Isaiah 12, 2. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Facebook, Andy Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R. You can reach me by email if you want to. That would be A-C-O-N-N-E-R.72 at Outlook.com.
0: Man, that and I would I would highly suggest that you reach out to Andy and, and connect with him. And um, man, this has been great. Yeah. And uh wonderful. now you now you have prompted me to do something because somewhere in my son's room, <laughs> somewhere in my son's room, I have a little league ball that, that I, that I have, and I've tried to find it because I've got my sons, I've got stuff from my son and and stuff like that, but I've got a couple of baseballs from when I was a kid and, uh, I I need to try to find those and dig those up. So I Mm -hmm. I know he's got them somewhere, but, uh, man, what a blast this has been. Andy Connor, thank you for joining me today on the intentional encourager podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome to reconnect with you and, uh, love you too, my brother. Yep.
0: My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor, Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day. His work. And until next time, remember everyone, everywhere, at any time and any place can be an intentional,